assets, only 17% of borrowers have access to money. What's called the berry button, the red button that I hit. Hey, remember that? Right? You know, oh yeah, I love it. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Laugh, Lend, and Eat the Podcast. And uh, this is a great, great episode, guys. I'm telling you right now, sit back, relax, get something good to drink, and uh, you know, enjoy what we're about to talk, get into, because we have the CEO of AIM, Association of Independent Mortgage Experts, Katie Sweeney, on here. Katie, how are you? Hey, Bobby, I'm good. How are you? You know, you know how we are. It's a, it's mortgage Rolling. business, baby. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think everybody has the same answer. Surviving. We're all surviving. Ducking and dodging and, and doing what we can. It's true. It's somebody, very true. Somebody just told me the other day that I can, I can no longer say shucking and jiving. Oh, so that's a new phrase for me. I don't know that I've ever heard that one before. Well, I grew up in Virginia, right? So it was like, a, okay. That we, and, and someone said, oh, five, you shouldn't say that anymore. And I'm like, dude, I'm like 54. I mean, you know, I, you I don't know. know what I can say anymore. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. At some but like, there's just, we just say things differently in the South. It just, it is what it is, you know? Thank you. That's <laughs> what it is. So Katie, listen, you're like the youngest CEO I've had on the show so far. Wow. I mean, you're, you're like a freaking CEO. Like when I first met you, right, uh, four or five years ago at Packing yeah. Yep. you were like doing some kind of lead generation, head of lead generation or something like that, yep. right? That's exactly right. I was doing lead gen, marketing analytics for the port retention team. And so four years go by and you're the head of a huge association of crazy lunatics. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a ride. It's been a wild ride. Lovable lunatics, though. Like very, very absolutely. lovable lunatics. I know a lot of them and they're absolutely horrible. <laughs> but look. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a crazy four years. I'm I April of this year will be my five-year anniversary since coming into the mortgage business period. So I was in healthcare before I got started. So it's only when I met you, that was my first job in, in the industry. So was that rough? Like, like you, I remember <laughs> I have this, I know I met you two or three times when I was in Dallas and there was like this one time you walked in and there was like a bunch of us regionals or whatever we were at that time. Yeah. It was with one of those business review meetings right? at that yeah. long table. And, and, I, and I remember feeling bad for you because you were so young at that time, right? And, oh. and it was like a bunch of us 50-year-old guys, and you're like coming in and make this presentation on why lead gen is important to our branches. Yep. And all of us like, well, get out of my face, like, right? Literally, everyone looked at me like I was crazy. Some, like, 26-year-old who's walking in trying to change the way that we do business, and they were all like, you're a nutcase. Like, get out of here. Like, how, did, how did you deal with that? I mean... <laughs> You know, I feel like I've always been one to really challenge what people expect. I want to understand why. It's not that I, I think when I was younger, it got misconstrued as being really stubborn. But in reality, I just want to understand somebody's thought process. I want to know why things are happening a certain way. I don't have to agree. I just want to know the reason behind the decision, because then I can kind of break down all right, if there is a better way to approach this, at what point in the decision-making process do we need to align so that we come to the same conclusion at the end? And so for me, getting that kind of feedback, it's not good or bad. It was an opportunity to figure out where my thought process pivoted away from everybody else who was in the room at the time. And it then it turns into a challenge for me. Like, all right, how can I bring this back together? It's well, that- words, You have the heart of a salesperson. 
I, you know, that's people keep saying that. Yeah, that, that's I'm, I'm not, but I'm not a good salesperson. No, you like, are. I you just, never, what you just said is, is all we do in sales, we figure out the objection, then we figure out the solution. There. I feel like I can sell an idea or a concept or a process more than I can sell a thing. I'm <laughs> not, I love people, I love relationships, but if I'm being honest, relationship management isn't necessarily a strength of mine. I am such an introvert it's exhausting to me to be like out in the world and talking to people i don't get that doesn't give me energy it's like the exact opposite so when the time comes i feel like i can can sell when it's needed but it's definitely not the thing that i default to <laughs> katie let's get the biggest question out of the way oh boy this is, this is it right i mean this is the number one question i got out and you, you know what i mean we got to get it out of the way so let's just do it right okay all right I've got to know where you stand on this Doc, Dak Prescott con contract. Oh my god! <laughs> 164 million freaking dollars, Katie. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Um, Four years. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Washington Redskins fan or a Washington football team fan. I appreciate you guys doing that because that's like as bonehead move as my owner keep, keeps making. What? Yeah. Where do you stand on this, Katie? <laughs> the number of text messages I've gotten in the last 24 hours, I can't. I can't keep up with them all. And almost all of them say, awesome, congratulations. You've guaranteed yourself to be mediocre for the next five years. This is really exciting for everybody else. Like, great. Um, you know, I'm honestly, I am actually a football. I, Fabio, I think we talked about football quite a bit when we first met. I'm a huge sports fan. So I, it's not just the celebrity of it all. I actually am a, a true Cowboys fan. I grew up I out, just right outside of Dallas. I live here. That's why that was um, the most important question out, out of the entire is, episode. <laughs> I'm very torn. I'm very torn on this topic because um, am I completely convinced that Dak has the skills to be able to take the Cowboys from being eight and eight every single year of my entire life to something more successful? <laughs> I know I'm not totally sold on that just yet. And I refuse to get my hopes up because every time I do, I get let down. The Cowboys haven't been in a Super Bowl since I was five. So when I've never really won a playoff game. One. One. We won one playoff game. <laughs> we don't want. <laughs> like that I, one we I grew, have. I grew up in an era where yeah. either the Redskins or the Cowboys, we were all, the NFC East was like this really dominating. Oh, yeah. It was I mean, the conference. Yeah. Yeah, we're like, you and know, now it's the joke think, conference. We got in the, in, the, in the wild card with the five and yep. 11 or something like that, six and yeah. 10. Yeah. Yep. Are you kidding me? So exactly. Anyway. Exactly. Right. I do like Dak as a person, though. I will say, like, as a community leader and sure. what he brings to the city, especially with Dirk retired. We had Dirk for a really long time with the Mavs, for anybody who's not familiar. He was the the guy that was leading all the teams in the city for quite some time. Once he retired, there's been a little bit of a void. Dak has definitely stepped in to fill that. The the good guy who gives back. He does a lot around the city, not just out partying like crazy like a lot of these guys are. So That's from true. that front... We do okay. love him here. We might not love him on the field just yet, but we do love him here. The good news is you guys have $2 million left for other players. It's true. With all the restructuring of the alignment. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, I mean, that we got two mil. You can get a punter. Great. Perfect. <laughs> we need a kicker. So that's actually probably a good thing. <laughs> Welcome to the bottom of the NFC East, Katie. <laughs> Honestly. Gotten very comfortable. All right, let's move on here. That's we beat that one up pretty good. <laughs> God, I'm not a I'm not a sports show. Um, I want to talk about Arrive because you you left Pack Union and you went yep. to Arrive. Yeah. And that was like a tech company for brokers. That's right. 
right? I think they're still doing. I mean, they're, it's not like they 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 disband or anything, right? I and mean, they're still no, it's still there. It's actually yeah. blowing up right now. They're one of the only, uh, at least in the broker community, one of the only LOSs out there that tackled Erla the right way. And so, while there's been steady growth over the last couple of years, both when I was there and then when I stepped over to AIM, because it is a sister company of AIM. They kind of fall um, at the time when it was started, AIM and Arrive fell under the same umbrella, different businesses, but exclusive to one another. So we worked really closely with AIM when I was over at Arrive. And now that I'm at AIM, we still work a lot with Arrive. Sure. Um, there's been some steady growth, but really I think the last 90 days it's exploded. And it's really exciting to see this concept that we dreamt up um, similar with what I was trying to do at Pacific Union when we were still there, that wholesale portal that we were EXP, I think is what it was called, yeah, that we were working exactly. on. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Same concept, same idea. The whole reason I was drawn to Arrive was because the I was sold on this vision of taking what we had built for a single lender, but applying it to multiple lenders. So really looking at leveling the playing field as much as possible so that all loan officers, whether you're retail, wholesale, can compete and can compete successfully in the market and, and serve consumers the best way possible. So um, that's where I started. Is the tech stack that they give to brokers, is that different than say a lender would have? Say like, I mean, Pack Unis, since we both have a reference point there. Yep. I mean, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Same same structure, but an LOS for a broker isn't quite as robust as an LOS that's necessary on the lender side because you're not dealing with any of the underwriting requirements that would go into that. So mm -hmm. it is different, um, but Arrive is even looking at expanding into tackling a lot of the non-DEL requirements and may eventually even get into the correspondent world. So it will start to become a lot more in line with what lenders are used to seeing. Um, the what advantage of Arrive is that- I guess it's more of a POS, right? Like a point of sale. It's a point of sale and a, a broker LOS. So it is a full 1003, full application. All of the pipeline management that a broker would need is in Arrive, um, even a loan officer. So LOs, if you, again, a Pacific Union or any retail lender that's out there, your loan officer is not going into the underwriting components of an LOS, right? Your loan officer kind of sits in, here's my pipeline, here's the status, here's all the communication that I need to tackle. It's the same thing. It's just a broker has access to this on its own. And Arrive has done a great job of integrating with lender LOSs. So similar to the retail world where you would have your internal LOS giving updates back to your loan officer portal. Mm -hmm. um, now we have wholesale lenders that are able to give updates back to the broker portal. So you're not having to bounce between 20 different platforms like they've been used to doing the last right. 15 years. You can live in one spot, get all of your updates there, do all of the communication with your borrower, document management. It's all in one place. Got a pricing engine that's fully integrated with a bunch of lenders. Very easy to use. It becomes like a hub, like almost like a uniform system, right? Where exactly. you log in and everything is kind of done. And, and Exactly. Yep. That was the vision. Yeah. We wanted to, to bring, I think one of the advantages that um, the retail channel had over the broker channel for a really long time was limited access to technology. It just wasn't, when you think about enterprise level solutions, you think retail, because there are larger companies, you can leverage them across a greater number of users. Wholesale, you've got a lot of shops that are five, 10, 15 people, a lot now that are even one or two person teams. Right. You don't have enterprise technology companies wanting to sign contracts with two users, right? So we really wanted to bring Arrive to the forefront as an opportunity to leverage all of the great things that the retail channel has access to and make them more readily available to wholesale. So then what made you leave that? Because you seem like really passionate, like you're talking am. right there, right? I can just hear the passion right there, right? 
yeah. and also you kind of like leave your passion and your vision and you say, okay, I'll go join AIM, right? And at that time you weren't the CEO or anything. Nope. Right? Uh, yeah. That just happened in January. So yep. I mean, what made you like, okay, I'll, I'll see what the other side or the sister company or whatever, the mother company, I don't know what, what <laughs> yeah. connections are, right? I mean, yep. what made that decision? So we were doing some really great things that arrived. The vision was to always get what we could in place with the limited amount of access to developers that we had. So we were a startup. Arrive was a really young company. I joined, I was employee number five, maybe. So brand, brand new when we were trying to stand it up. It didn't exist prior to when I got, I mean, maybe it preceded me by a month, but that was about it. So our goal was to spend a couple of years trying to get it to a place where we saw a decent amount of adoption. We could sell the vision to a development team or technology company that could truly execute on the, um, scalability of the tool we could handle a certain number of users but we were definitely not prepared nor were we funded we didn't have private equity backers we were mm -hmm. self-funded and everything that we were doing so uh, and really dependent and reliant on the lenders that agreed to integrate with us and working on so i really worked on a lot of those contracts how do we bring lenders in how do we get them sold on this idea i keep saying i'm not a salesperson now i'm listening to myself i sold a lot but you got the heart <laughs> but it was really like how do we get this to a point where people understand how necessary this is um, and we can bring in a development partner that can take it and run with it and get it to the next level and when we thought that was a two to three year plan, ultimately that turned into a year. We had a partner that was, they understood, they got it, they saw the vision, they have a fantastic development team. Um, and there was an opportunity to stay at Arrive and keep working on the vision. Um, there was also an opportunity to take this whole passion that I have about leveling the playing field. I truly believe in like, I want everybody to be able to compete at the same level. And a lot of that comes from access to technology, information, education, resources, support. There's all of this stuff that goes into that. Yeah. So Arrive was a piece of the puzzle, but AIM really allowed me to expand that and look at all of these other areas that we can provide to the broker community to help them continue to grow, provide that support, provide the resources that are needed. Um, and, you know, it just, it seemed like a, a really good fit at the time. I was going to get to work with more partners. I got to create the Brokers Are Better network, which allowed me to keep working with vendors, um, technology providers that typically operate in an enterprise space and bring them to wholesale just in a different capacity. Now, so now as a CEO of AIM today, I mean, obviously, look, I mean, <clears throat> you've got a huge challenge, right? I mean, there's a lot of I can't even imagine what you're going through, quite honestly, okay? You're probably living on three hours of sleep a night, I would imagine. Yeah, right? yep, that's true. <laughs> I'm like trying to like disguise the, I'm not going to look young for much longer if I don't start sleeping. No, man, I mean, just, but there's so many different moving parts that I, I, when I was getting ready for this interview, I was looking at, I was like, this impossible to actually look across and see what's on the horizon for the brokers, right? Because you have to look at the lenders, the banks, the brokers, consumer direct, Yep. Online applications that are, I was talking to somebody yesterday on Clubhouse, by the way, and they're talking about some company that's going to start off that uh, won't, that's just going to do online only. So yep. if you don't have online access, you, you can't even go on. It's just, it's like the whole industry is, is once again, is changing again rapidly, like it was about 15 years ago. What do you think like the biggest challenge right now overall for the brokers really is? I mean, is there like one challenge that you said, okay, if we don't really tackle this, yeah. we don't get past this hurdle. 
Yeah. I, so I really think, um, it goes back to the core of what aim was founded on a few years ago before I ever even knew what aim was. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of easy answers. I could tell you, we need more technology. I could tell you, we need to think about sustainability and scalability. I could tell you that there's education and making sure consumers understand what's happening in the market, um, being community advocates. But at the end of the day, I, I truly feel like the broker channel in particular is in a position where we have to understand who our partners are and who wants brokers to be around in 10 years and who doesn't. And okay. we need to serve consumers the best way possible, but the best way for us to serve consumers is also to make sure that we exist and that we're, we're taking them to the partners that we know are gonna treat them with the same level of respect that we would. Um, and I think there's a lot of people right now trying to exactly what you're referencing. The industry's being shaken up. There's lenders popping up left and right. There's opportunities for consumers popping up from every corner. Real estate agents are starting to get licensed to lend money, which we both know is a really complicated thing and probably not a great idea. A great to idea. Stay in your lane, you know. Yes. But it's happening left and right. There, everybody is looking for the next big thing, the next level of advancement, the next thing that they can do to capture additional market share. Um, and for a long time, I think brokers have been really fragmented and not understood the overall impact of who they choose to work with and how that impacts the channel as a whole and not just them as an individual in that single transaction. So really focusing on the long-term play, how do we make sure that we're not just serving consumers the best way possible today, but over a period, an extended period of time. Um, and for us, that was this whole idea of, you know, working with lenders that have respect for our channel, that don't look at brokers like um, a lead gen source. And I know this because I started there, right? I mean, you referenced it at the beginning. Yeah. I. I ran consumer direct, I ran port retention. I worked at a company that looked at wholesale and looked at correspondent as a lead source for our port retention team. We didn't care about sending leads back or notifying a broker when somebody was shopping. We had access to information. But in all fairness, that really wasn't in play at that time also. It wasn't. No, 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 absolutely not. And it's that education that's been so yeah. important. Yeah. It's been kind of we a just, pushback from the brokers. I mean, I started off as a broker in 94, right? Yeah. I was a broker till 94, till 2009, I guess. So it's not like, you know, I mean, to, to me, it was just, we just never had to deal with it. I mean, it just felt like yep. you refinanced it, you lost it, but you try to always maintain that contact with the borrower. So yep. at least it gave you a shot. Exactly. I think where the disconnect happened was technology scaled so quickly in other channels and didn't okay. scale as quickly in the broker channel. So where there was even footing before in that time period that you're referencing, like the broker and the servicer had access to the same information. And as long as you stayed in, in touch with your borrower at some level, mm -hmm. they're going to keep working with you. Right. Well, all of a sudden you had servicers and consumer direct online lenders that started gaining access to data sources that brokers don't have access to. So it's not that you're not doing your job to stay in front of your customer. It's that you've now got people that are looking at you saying, oh yeah, we'll pay the broker $2,000 upfront, right? We'll pay their commission or $3,000 because I know once I get them, I have more information about that customer than the broker is ever going to have. Right. And all I have to do is market to them in this. I can retarget them on social. I can email their marketing campaigns that run on commercials, the Super Bowl. I mean, everything left and right. Consumers are getting hit with this abundance of information. And yes, we have a responsibility to stay in front of the borrower and make sure they know that we're still a viable option. But we also should be working with partners that respect the fact that 
that was a relationship that started with a partner of theirs. You know, like if you went on a date with a girl and you were excited about it, you're not going to love that your friend asks her out tomorrow. That's not a great idea. That's happened though, Katie. (laughs) But it's not great. You know, you're like, wait a second. I thought we were partners. Like I thought, you know, I thought we had some. And it's, yeah. It's just, I think it's really important that people have that conversation and I'm not going to dictate who you can or can't work with. That's not my job. It's everyone's job to decide what's best for but their business. Did United Wholesale just come out and say that? I mean, basically they do the gauntlet. I don't think, I have a, a little bit of a different take on that. Sure I don't I'd think. I'd love, love to hear your take because <laughs> I, mean, I, I heard a bunch of stuff, right? I mean, yep. I stay out of those kind of phrase, but I had to like, I, I was like, when I heard those, I was like, what's, what's this all about? This sounds like absolutely insanity to me. Like a company can't dictate who you can and can't deal with, in my opinion. No, they can't. But they can also dictate that you can't work with them if you don't fit specific parameters, right? I mean, there are banks that you're not allowed to sign up as a broker if you don't send them a certain amount of volume every quarter or if you don't have a specific net worth up front. It's a a business requirement. And it's your decision to decide if you agree with it or if you don't. I think this is getting a lot of attention because it was so public. And we all know, I mean, it's not a secret in the industry that... UWM and Rocket are not best friends with each other. They're in each other's backyards in the same area in Michigan. It's a competitive relationship. But they threw threw Fairway in the mix. I mean, Fairway is like this little, I don't like, they're like this vanilla company that I never, I mean, you hear about them, but they don't do much, right? Or I don't know. (laughs) The Fairway one, I think Fairway is a little bit of a different, there's two different conversations that got rolled into the same discussion. And I think it's made it a little bit confusing. Fairway, I think, is really largely focused around the fact that we have seen over the last few years, the majority of brokers that exit the channel that go to retail are being recruited by Fairway specifically. So for UWM, they're looking at it and saying, we're investing a lot of resources into brokers, and then they're being recruited to go work at Fairway once they do a certain amount of production. That's not good for the channel, so we don't want to work with them. Not to say that there aren't other lenders that also recruit brokers. We've got brokers that recruit from retail, but when you're looking at the majority of, or a large portion of the percentage going to a single entity, it becomes a little bit easier to say, hey, this isn't a great idea. We're not going to do business with these guys. We don't want what brokers are doing and the relationships that they're building to then remove them from the channel altogether and to go back and start retail branches there. Um, My dog in the fight is less with Fairway. I don't agree with the practice, but that's a, a UWM decision at the end yeah. of the day. I'm definitely much more engaged when it comes to the, the rocket side of the discussion and what that means to the channel. I just think like for me, right. And, and when I was a broker, right. Is, is one of the, one of the biggest sacrifices you make when you become a single company, right. Is the ability to not be able to look at everybody's rate sheets. Yeah. Right. And you guys are big on that. I mean, in your, in your, in your marketing stuff, right. That you guys are able to compare so if I'm limited even by two different lenders, am I really able to get the best rate now for my consumer in the offhand chance that maybe Fairway happens to be quarter percent better that particular week? So I have a question for you then. And when you were a broker, were you signed up with all 75 lenders that operated in wholesale? Uh, probably not, no. <laughs> I don't know a single broker but, but, who yeah, is. But we never made the claim that we were shopping different rates and giving the lowest rate to the consumer. But-, but, but- I don't brokers that I hear talk about doing that kind of stuff. Now, I think you talk about having a lot of options, right? Not being limited to a single, um, a single lender. And UWM is not saying that you're limited to a single lender. They're saying you have them plus 72 others, or you have 
Rocket plus Fairway and 72 others. Honest, you and probably don't need more than five lenders, right? Exactly. You really I mean, don't. About five lenders. And, and, five to and, seven and, is a pretty good Exactly. It's a pretty that's, good spot. That's the way it always worked out for me. I remember like I had my main lender, you know what I mean? And, and, and the rep and I were tight. Then we had our BCD lenders. We had our, you know, yeah. and whatever that was. And a few straggling here and there that wanted to kind of get it, get, get our business. Exactly. The majority of our business always went to a XYZ lender. Right. Everyone's got their, their level of comfort where they know it's not just price. It's also service. It's time. It's speed. It's energy. It's efficiency that you gain from working with a broker or a broker working with a specific lender. I'll throw a name at you. That was my number one lender at that time was Willie Newman. He was running oh, Interfirst, oh, yeah. Interfirst, right? Yep. And he had Interfirst Company, and they were getting, I would say, at least 40% of our volume at that time every month. Yep. And he loved it. I mean, I think he gave me an award or whatever at one year. Right? I just wondered, though, at, at what point does do other lenders start saying, well, you can't deal with this lender, or you can't, it just feels like, I don't know, just, it's like a slippery slope, Katie, to me, that's all. Yeah. It, it's, that's all. And I mean, I'm, it just doesn't make me feel comfortable, right? Like, if I'm that. a captive agent for XYZ, I know I signed a contract with XYZ to be their retail loan officer, and I can't go shop rates. But if I'm yeah. out there in the broker world, I just feel like I don't want to be limited to by anybody. That's yeah. all. Yeah, I understand that. And we've had, we've had some members bring up similar concerns. Not that they want to do business with Quicken over UWM, more out of principle of like, mm -hmm. wait a minute. I became a, a business owner because I want to be able to decide for myself. And I understand at the same time, I would tell you, you don't have to sign the agreement. You know, you don't, you still have a decision. Nobody's telling you or dictating that you have to do one thing or you have to do another. You still have all the options on the table. It's purely creating a business requirement the same way that's always existed in broker agreements. This is just a much more public, much more combative mm -hmm. conversation because of who's involved in these two titans that are at the core <laughs> right, of this. Right. this dad always said, when two elephants fight, stay away from that field. I'm like, you know, you just kind of you step back and take it, you know. Yeah. But so, I, I listen, think listen real quick, though, this one, this yeah. was interesting because this is where I saw this UWM thing happening. Right. So just so just the way my head works. Right. Is brokers at the end of 2020 or middle of 2020 had 20 percent of the market share. Mm -hmm. Right. According to Housing Wire. Right. Yep. And that's 20 percent of an 11 trillion dollar market. I mean, when you look at those numbers, right, that's like two point, I mean, just quick math, right? $2.2 trillion that the brokers are originating. Yeah. That's what we're really talking about, right? That's what's at stake. I don't know how many of the percentage of brokers are going to UWM or going to Quicken or Rocket or whatever they're called nowadays or Fairway or XYZ. I don't know. You know what I mean? But it seems like that pot, because obviously they feel that that number is going to grow, that it's not going to remain 20%. So I think it's two things. Um, and I will, in the most respectful way possible, speak on behalf of these two companies to a certain extent, sure. with the disclaimer that I obviously don't work at either of them. So take this with a grain of salt. But um, I think I think Rocket looks at exactly what you just said as an opportunity. And there is. There's been significant growth in the broker channel, not just in the last year, the last three years. Since AIM was founded, the broker channel went from, depending on who you ask, somewhere around 7% market share to um, right now, we we believe that for broker, which is a little bit hard to glean out of all the statistics, that we're somewhere between 
22 and 24%. So we've continued to grow. Um, the overall goal to get, we've always said we want to be at 25% by the end of 2021. So on pace to potentially do that, I mean, it's still going to take a lot of work, but I think if you look at when Rocket got interested in the channel, it was when the growth had already started to occur. They weren't here 10 years ago. They weren't here five years ago trying to actively participate in the community, it really became an opportunity, exactly what you just said. And there is, there's a huge percentage of the market that's up for grabs. Um, you can also go to their earnings calls and read the transcripts that say, we retain 80% of the customers that we get from wholesale. That's a great growth story for an investor. So of course, they're going to want to stay active in the channel for as long as it lasts with the understanding that if for whatever reason, the tables start to turn at some point, they're prepared to capitalize on the consumer direct side. And they are, they're diversified. They've got a lot of opportunities to make sure that as a business, their market share doesn't completely deplete, even if a specific channel starts to decline aggressively. UWM doesn't have that. It's like go broker or bust. There is no backup plan. There's no other option. So while yes, I'm sure there is an economic component to the decision-making, it's also, if brokers don't survive, if they don't last, if they're not in a position to be successful without being reliant on a single organization, mm -hmm. they don't survive. That company goes away. And there's 8,000 employees there that are reliant and completely backing the channel and everything that you know Matt's vision and the leadership team over there is trying to do. So there are different approaches to how you tackle that. And as a person, again, who's worked consumer direct before, I'm not knocking one business style over the other. Everyone's got to decide for themselves what makes sense. But our mission and our goal is to make sure that brokers are set up to be successful long term and that they're in a position to sustain their careers over a period of time and not just to be a source that people are looking at as an opportunity in the moment. And I think UWM is continually put that idea forth. They've invested the resources. They help you start your own shop. They give you point of sale for free. You get an LOS for free. You don't even have to send the loan to UWM. You can use Blink without doing that. Brand360 you can use without using UWM. You've got access to an infinite number of resources. They back, aim, and support us wholeheartedly. We, we need people to come and speak. If we need access to their training teams to put together things for the broker community, them along with the 14 other sponsors that we have are huge contributors to that. Rocket's never made an effort to be a part of that conversation, but they have made an effort to try to capitalize on the opportunity. And that's a problem for me. And I think that's a problem for a lot of brokers. Kind of back to what I was saying, as a CEO of AIM, you have a lot of challenges to deal with. A lot of things, <laughs> a lot of moving pieces. <laughs> right, a lot of moving parts. I mean, we're still yeah. talking, right? And that's yep. what I was like, I was like, man, Katie, you got to, I mean, I, There'd be, I think I would just say, no, I'm really happy right now, guys. I stay, just me, that I just know myself. I mean, and then you got to deal with, so I got to ask you another question. This was, I got it because I've asked this to Jason Frazier. I've asked this to okay. Laura Brandeo. I've asked this to half a dozen other people, right? I feel as a CEO of AIM, maybe you can explain this to me. Oh boy. All right. Okay. Fresh on. Well, yeah, this is, this is, why are brokers better? Why are brokers better? All right. I can tackle that one. I mean, because... Uh, I mean, I, I went through the website, right? Yep. I loved your We Believe statement. Thank right? you. I thought that was like dead on. But I also felt like anybody who's a mortgage professional could stand behind that We Believe statement. Didn't have to be a really like a broker. Yeah. So I divide the industry by saying so brokers are better. I 
I don't think, and that, that tagline, that slogan preceded my time at AIM. So that was, that was a piece of a core of the community before I got to AIM. But if I'm speaking on behalf of those that were there when it was created, I don't think the intention was ever to be divisive, though I do agree that there have been times where the language has come across that way. And there have been messages that have been, they've done just that, they've been combative. Um, when I stepped into this role at AIM, I told the whole team, my goal is for the whole industry to look at AIM as a competitor and not as somebody who's out here trying to pick a fight just to pick a fight. You can compete without combating. And I really want, want the industry and I want everybody to understand that that's the position that we're in. That's my goal for the organization and for the association as a whole. I will compete with you day in and day out and I will try to kick your butt on the court, but that doesn't mean that we can't have mutual respect for each other outside of the game, right? I have a lot of friends who are brokers. Absolutely. I've got a lot of friends that work in retail or work at call centers. You know, we can respect each other's business models without we were brokers. We never thought that you know, the other guy was worse or better. We just, we just figured that was their thing. Like they needed a logo on their business card to go sell well, mortgages. And I was going to say, that's where I think brokers are better. And, and I do love, I love what that stands for. I think it was started as something that helped bring people together. It started to draw attention and it really helped consumers start to understand that broker is a term to not be afraid of. Okay. It got, you know, it wasn't exactly the thing that you wanted to be called in 2008 or nine or 10. I was, I was, was there. I was, yeah, had a very negative connotation. And so I think this whole mission and that statement and what we wear proudly is an attempt to change the narrative around what that term means um, and what it stands for. And to have people associate it with something that's a little bit different than maybe what they heard 10 or 15 years ago. Do you um, think having the brokers are better helps you build relationships as as aim as brokers i mean because well with who it depends on who we're with relationships with who yeah well, well let's say with the brokers and the realtors right because realtors are let's face it right oh are you a broker are you a lender are you a bank yep. right they want to know all these different parameters I do. I do think it helps i absolutely do i think there are if you really embody the message behind it and our message has always been brokers aren't just better because they're brokers they're better because they've got access to more information they have more flexibility in the way they work with consumers um, they have more flexibility in the way that they structure deals most of the time not every time there are going to be times and we have brokers in our community that will tell you hey product a b or c I refer it to a bank LO every time because I know I can't compete in that space, but that also contributes to a broker being the best option for a consumer to talk to first because you're going to get the truth. You're going to get an answer and they may not have something that they can do that's best suited for you, but they probably know somebody who does and who can help you and they're their bottom line and their objective is the consumer that's sitting in front of them because that's the reputation of their business in their local community with large retail lenders that's not always the case you've got los that are more focused on what kind of comp can i pull can i get a pricing exception so i don't have to cut my comp but i can still win on rate right, yeah, right. I mean, you, yeah it happened yeah trust me i lived that nightmare <laughs> <laughs> so imagine. Do, you, do you ever see a future where aim will allow retail lenders in I don't think so. I don't. And it's not because I don't think they 
our, it's the association of independent mortgage experts. It would, it really is. It's not that I don't think industry associations can coexist. I would love to build stronger relationships with other associations that are out there that have our friends from retail that are looking at the industry from a different perspective. Cause I think that's where we grow. If we're challenging one another, we're helping hold each other accountable, which at the end of the day means the customer wins. Yep. Um, but I think our organization is, our objective is to say solely focused on ensuring our community can be successful long-term. Um, it's not meant to be exclusive of any ideology or any thought process. It's intended to be inclusive of the people who we know are aligned with our mission and our goals. We wanna make sure that we're positioned to help support those moving forward. Yeah, so Kevin Delory of Carrington, he was on here also. Okay. He, he promised me a shirt that said better together. <laughs> Because he was big on this whole brokers are better, right? Because of the whole mm -hmm. thing that Carrington does. And I, Kevin and I go back years. So it was just one of those questions that I brought up to him also. Why, you know what I mean? Because to me, I think we're just all better together as mortgage people helping the consumer win. That's just my opinion. Uh, I would I, argue though, if you, so for the lender that you work for, do you wear any swag or anything that highlights or talks about why you love. Yeah, exactly. Brokers are better is the same thing. It's a unifying message for a community that has a bunch of really small organizations. We don't have 5,000 person companies to be able to represent a mission. What I'm feeling from you is that you basically came with the, and not basically, I don't want to simplify that. I apologize. But basically what I'm hearing is this, this message lifted the brokers up together to unite them. Absolutely, it did. Right? Yeah, right. It helped push a message. Yeah, it's it brought the broker community together. It gave them an opportunity, gave us an opportunity to really leverage all of the amazing benefits that they each have individually. There are people from Texas referring loans out to people in New York, and people from New York giving a heads up to people in California and Oregon and Florida. And I, we have. We have members in all 50 states. We've got, you know, north of 45,000 members at this point. Our weekly reach on communication is over 150,000 people regularly. Okay. Um, are, we've got a lot of people that are listening and paying attention and leveraging the skill sets within the network, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want AIM to be solely dependent on me. I want AIM to be dependent on the community and the network it's created. And the content that we push out, the access to information, we get a lot of that from our brokers from people. I'm not telling them what an LOA checklist should be. I'm, you know, I've never been a loan officer. I'm not the person <laughs> to give that direction. Right, right, I've no. got a lot of ideas on how to run a business. Like an I'm pretty sure you could sell the idea once you get I, it. Might be able, <laughs> I might be able we, we leverage our community to create a lot of that content because they are the experts. They're the ones that we want to be um, positioning as thought leaders and raising up together. And the only way for consumers to look at the channel as something positive is if there's a unifying message across the board that every member of ours can leverage. And while I love AIM and Association of Independent Mortgage Experts, no borrower knows what that means. That's not something that someone's gonna see that's gonna resonate that if they walk into a coffee shop wearing an AIM hoodie, nobody's gonna ask you, wait, what's that? Right. But if you walk in wearing a shirt that says brokers are better, you start a conversation, it opens up the door to be able to talk to a customer and educate them about an opportunity to work with a local loan officer that maybe they hadn't considered before. Fair enough. Let's let's switch gears to something else here. Women's Mortgage Network. Now you got yes. Laura Brandeo in there. You got my buddy, Christine Beckwith. I think she supports it also because, you know, Christine and I, we're pretty tight right now and we're doing a yep. lot of stuff together. Um, 
how does where I don't know if you were with AIM when this idea took root. I mean, I was. Yeah. So walk me through the genesis of this because this was really exciting when I heard about this. Yes, it is. Um, it is something that I've been really passionate about since the very beginning. Um, when I was at Arrive, there the AIM's big event every year is called Fuse. Um, so AIM Fuse happens in the end of Q3 every single year, September, October. Um, and so Fuse 2019, I was still at Arrive. And uh, one of our members, one of the AIM members at the time brought forth and made it very vocal, like, hey, you guys don't have any women on stage. You, you're not highlighting women and it, what's up with that? Like, what's the deal? Yeah. There's nobody speaking on stage. You don't have any leadership represented that are women. And of course I was a female leader at Arrive at the time, um, but also the only one. So between AIM and Arrive, I was the only female leader at either of those companies. And so it opened up a dialogue of like, hey, wait a minute, you know, you're right. And I it be, not being in healthcare and then in mortgage, I've been in male dominated industries my entire career. And I think to a certain extent, which is a fault of mine, gotten used to it and just didn't really think anything of it anymore. Sure, sure. So when she called it out, it was very eye-opening to say, you know what, like there is something that we need to do about this. This is important. It's something that we need to be talking about. 35% of our members are women. We've got a huge part of our audience that is feeling like they don't have a perspective that's represented in the conversations that we're having. So from that, um, there was a lot of dialogue. Laura was a huge part of it at the time with Anthony, with myself. Um, and we decided it was time to stand up, not to cannibalize what the Facebook group Brokers Are Better does and what that stands for. And we're you know north of 10,000 people in that group now, mm -hmm. um, but that we wanted a space for women to be able to have conversations just in a different way with a different audience, not to say that we need to be um, catered to or that we have to have nicer conversations because we can't compete with the boys. It was nothing like that. It was more, hey, let's create an audience and a network where we can support one another ask questions about things that maybe don't relate to the entire community, but are specifically focused on women in the space and in the industry and how we want to grow and run businesses and some of the challenges that come along with those things. I'll tell you um, what, Laura, Laura is a powerhouse. She is. She is I mean, a powerhouse. She absolutely she's, she's is. She's going to be gone here about two more weeks. Uh, I mean, I'm getting ready for her already. I mean, <laughs> yeah, she's just like a little dynamo. I mean, I just like always got so much energy. You're like, Laura, calm down. <laughs> she's not she has so much passion and I would say the same thing about Christine. Both of those women have been trailblazers for their entire careers and yeah. where we all share the same passion. We all express it in really different ways. And I think that's one of the things that's great about WMN. It welcomes all of those various approaches to growth and to support and um, where we want to see the industry go. And we're all doing it from our own seat and our own view and our own way, our own personalities, right? Um, but WMN's been great. It launched in January of last year. So it's a little over a year old. Mm -hmm. uh, we're very close to 3000 members in that group already, all wholesale, everybody who's focused on, um, we've got vendors that are in there. We've got account executives. We have um, brokers, processors, LOAs, everybody that works in the wholesale channel. So it's a chance to have not just conversations about the business, the mortgage business, but conversations about running businesses, right? And I, yeah. one of the key things that came up was that there's a lot of great associations that support women in our space. There aren't any that are focusing on female leaders within our space. And what that means, it's a lot about um, providing support and resources to help lift people up. But 
what happens when you get to that level of being the person in charge and running your own business or being the decision maker now what? And that was really our goal for WMN is so that broker owners and their teams felt really supported. So do you feel more pressure now? I mean, I'll be very honest, like me being a Pakistanian, right? Because that's, that's a minority, right? Yeah. I've always felt a little extra pressure when I walked into a meeting, like you walked into that time, right? Yeah. I looked around, I was like the only one standing out, right? So I always was conscious of like things I would say. I wanted to make sure that I was always on top, that I would always be in the top percentage of the performers like I couldn't be on the bottom otherwise I felt like I, I was going to be like no one would hire another Pakistanian again for this role almost like I mean yep. that's an extreme way to describe it but that's the way it feels sometimes do you feel that same pressure being a female as a CEO of a, of a huge organization now I mean because you're leading quite a charge right yeah I so yes and no I think okay. there are if I really sit back and think about it yeah, I do feel like there's some pressure. I think part of it is being a woman. I think part of it is being 30 and not, you know, I've, and also part of it's, you know, I've been in the industry for five years. I'm not going to pretend like, you know, in 2008, when everything was happening, I was in high school. I was graduating from high school and going to college. I didn't know what was going on. So Don't I'm, not, that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I did. I, I'm a very studious person. I looked back at the trends. I love data and numbers and I, absolutely have put in the time to understand how we can be best positioned to be successful in the future. But it's also just different if you didn't live it and you weren't there in the moment and you just get that imposter syndrome kind of creeps in sometimes and you start to question, should I speak up on this? Should I bite my tongue? Do I let somebody else speak? But at the end of the day, I think for me, and I would tell anybody else that feels like they're in a similar position, you're in that seat because somebody thought that you should be in that seat. And it's my job, it's my responsibility to make sure that the perspective that I have always brought forth and that has gotten me here is the one that's still being represented or I'm failing at what I was brought here to do. And that to me, that fear of failure because I didn't speak up or I didn't say what I wanted to say in the moment or I didn't hold somebody accountable or I wasn't responsible for what needed to be done mm -hmm. is far worse than feeling like, oh crap, took a misstep here, need to dial it back. That's, that's way worse to me. I would rather be bold and go off the other end of the cliff because I truly believe in my soul that it was the right thing to do than to be stuck sitting on the sidelines. So, I mean, being a millennial, right? I mean, that's a millennial, right? My yeah. daughter, I think she's 27, right? 26 yeah. coming up on 27, right? So millennial, you're leading a team of millennials. I am. Yeah. Right. Yep. Is that, Almost the whole team. Yeah. So, I mean, is that, is that, I mean, when... So it's really weird, right? I'm going to just try to think of the question the best, best way possible. You're in that room five years ago with a bunch of 50-year-old guys like myself. Yep. Now you're in a room full of young people like yourself, right? Yeah. It obviously feels different. It does. Does it, it help does. you with creativity? Does it help you lead the charge? Does it empower you more? What are the feelings differences? It does. I not because there is a, a right or wrong way of thinking in any one specific generation, but the, the opportunity that we have to learn from other people who have been in the industry a little bit longer is the same opportunity that that group has to learn from us on how to communicate with home buyers that are soon going to be the largest segment of buyers in the market. Mm -hmm. And we provide a perspective and we're able to look at things and to think about things in a way that has been really uncommon for the industry. Um, my biggest fear coming into mortgage 
a couple of years ago was that the average age of a loan officer is a little bit older you know there you don't have a ton of young people coming in with my age by the way <laughs> I well, looked, it's like, oh, it's my age again <laughs> you know, a, ton of, like, a ton of young blood coming into the industry and it's it's not going to last if we don't so there's a handful of different ways that we approach it it's whether it's how do we educate people on why working in mortgage is a great thing and why this industry is a great place to have a really successful fulfilling career it's a running joke in the industry. Nobody ever sets out to work in mortgage. You just kind of no. find yourself here, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's great. It's a fantastic industry to be in. My, my dad used to always tell me there's two industries that are never going to go away. Healthcare and mortgage. People have to have healthcare and they have to have a place to live. They can't, no matter how much the world evolves, those two things, they may change. They may not look the same in 10, 15, 20 years, but the industry itself and the expertise you gain from it is always going to be applicable to our world because they're the only two things that people are always going to need. Nice. Um, and you've and done I both think, of them now. You've and now it's a full, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ask your dad what the next industry that's never going to go like, away. Yeah, food and beverage, like where do I go next? Gambling, um, gambling's never yeah, going to go away. No, but I, I love having a young team. I think there are a lot of industry outlets, associations, people who think, it's a negative that think, you know, we don't have the experience. We haven't been around as long. I, I would challenge all of them to listen to the perspective that I bring. You know, I've been here five years and I think I could hold my own with just about anybody at any table. I think the worst thing people say is that this is the way we've always done it. I hate exactly. that. Exactly. Why? Bonkers. Yeah. It's like, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something better. You know what I mean? And, and, without, and if like, there's not, let's break it down and, and make sure that there's not just assuming yeah. that what's been done is the way that it should be done. One Nobody thing I loved about that. Rick Skog, one thing I absolutely loved about him was he, and I can't, I, I know, it was Jim, right? The guy who ran marketing. And, and Rick said to me, yep. bring this guy in who's never done mortgage marketing before, Fob. Yep. And I was like, brilliant. He was my first boss. He brilliant. hired me. Brilliant. Brilliant. How do you, how, I mean, this is like such a, like bringing somebody that's never done a mortgage flyer in their life and let's see what they can put together for us. Yep. I, mean, I think those kind of ideas are great. So Katie, we are running out of time. We are at the end here. I do want to wish you an early birthday. I know you got a birthday coming up in 10 days. Thank you. Thank you. Last year you were home drunk by yourself in the pandemic because we saw your <laughs> pictures on Facebook. <laughs> oh my God. I was, I was home alone. It sh everything shut down like five days before. Talk about having like a hard time turning 30. You've got all these plans, like 30 is hard enough. And then the pandemic hits and three days later, you're sitting at home with a bottle of wine, trying to figure out what to do. Hopefully it was not great. Thing, you, you'll be, have a little bit less like restrictions. Yes. You know what I mean? Hopefully yep. a little bit change, the curve is changing. We're hopefully getting out of this mess and you're going to have a great 31st birthday makeup for whatever happened last yes. year. So. 30 round two. That's what we're calling it. We're just going to, yeah, 30 round two. All right, buddy. Well, look, I really wish you all the best. You know that I, I I'm a, I'm a distant admirer of what you've been doing. Thank and I wish you. you nothing but success with AIM and anything else that you put your heart into. So congratulations you on everything you've done so far, and I'll see you soon, okay? Thank you. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Laugh, Lend, and Eat, the podcast. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, First Option Mortgage, and One Good One Staffing Services. We have enjoyed all the comments we have been receiving. Please keep them coming. To be notified of any updates, please be sure to subscribe to Laugh, Lend and Eat on the listening platform of your choice. Thank you for listening and have a great day.